I want to welcome you to the Tuesday People podcast. I am your host, Mitch Album. Alongside is my friend and producer, Lisa Goich. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Mitch. We do this podcast once a week on Tuesdays is when we release it because it's inspired by the book Tuesdays with Maury, where I spent Tuesdays with my beloved old college professor as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and was able to learn something every week. Ultimately, those lessons became part of a book called Tuesdays with Maury that has found its way to resonate with a lot of people around the world. And even now, 25 plus years later, I find those lessons resonating with me too. And today, we're going to talk about a topic that was really interesting to bring up with Maury, and that is the afterlife. Now, Mm. it's one thing to talk about heaven, what comes next, when you're young and healthy and having it as an imaginary conversation and it's all theoretical. It's another thing when you're actually dying and you know that you don't have a whole lot of time to really contemplate what comes next. And much of what we talk about on this podcast is things that Maury learned and was able to share with me that I was able to learn right before you die that have a lot of relevance to how you should live all your life, right? Mo- most of what we talk about here is, oh boy, until you until you get really that you're looking death in the face, you don't realize spend time with your loved ones, forgive people things, you know, you should have given more than you took, things like that. Well, yeah. The same is true with the afterlife. Why? Because Our concept of what comes next informs us of what we should be doing here, right? Mm -hmm. Think about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those faiths that feel that your reward in heaven is based on your acts here on earth, in other words, the more good you do here, the better your afterlife is going to be. That inspires you to do good here, right? Because you want to have a good existence there. So even though that's after the fact, yep, this is very much informs what we do here. If you believe that there is nothing after you die, that we are worm food, we just go in the ground, then you may be inclined to say, hey, while I'm here, I'm going to live it up. What do I care about who I hurt? What do I care about how I behave? As long as I can stay out of jail, let me just get mine and have a good time because there's nothing after this, right? And I'm not here to say who's right or who's wrong. I'm just here to say that it's very clear that what we think comes after we die has a big effect on how we behave while we're alive. That is true. what are some of the things that you think of What is your particular take on what happens after we die? Now, in Maury's case, it was very interesting because he did not originally think there was much to the idea of an afterlife. Mm. He didn't think a whole lot of faith, period. Listen to this piece of a conversation we had on one of our Tuesdays together. Well, I was agnostic right? yeah. since the age of 16. Kind of limits your options. Right. But of late, 
I've been listening and reading, and I have a lot of, or a number, of far-out friends are assuring me, Buddhist friends, that there's a rebirth, or other friends that are telling me that consciousness goes on, that there is a higher power, and I'm saying, maybe. I don't know. That's my answer. I don't know. I'm open to finding out. Now, this this was a shift for Maury. I'm open to finding out. He wasn't much for the concept of an afterlife or faith or even a god until the last couple of years of his life. And he admitted that once he got sick, he started to look at the world differently. And he started to look at the what might come next differently and said that in some of his dreams, he imagined that uh, he was talking to angels and that there was a bridge that took us from this world into the next world. And his attitude changed, which was very interesting. I've seen that happen with a lot of people who kind of wander away from God, wander away from the idea of an afterlife, and then they get sick and they start to really embrace it. Now, why is that? Is it because we're scared? And is it because we're thinking, wow, what if I actually die? I better believe in something or this is going to be the end. Bring me the prayer book. Bring me that Bible. (laughs) Quick, let me read back up again. And you'll frequently see people who are older and who who are getting closer to that time reading Bibles, reading Psalms, reading... Uh, the New Testament, depending on you know what faith you are, they're drawn back to those texts because those texts do talk about that. And certainly in, in the Christian view of the world, there is a heaven and, and people will be with Jesus and if they accept Jesus into their lives. They are they're basically saved. You know, mm-hmm. and, and no matter what they do here, there will be salvation and eternity waiting for them. And that is an enormous comfort for peace, people of the Christian faith to feel that, you know, yeah. in fact, I know a lot of people who will actually say out loud, I'm not here for this world, or words to that effect. This world isn't the be-all, end-all. And they'll, they'll be very sacrificing, they'll endure a lot, uh, they'll put up with a lot because they feel that this is temporary, and eternity is forever, and eternity is what I want. And they'll, they'll believe certain beliefs that may not be popular even, in the community where they live or in the country where they live, but they, they'll say, it doesn't matter. This is a temporary place that we're at here. Mm. I'm living for mm-hmm. eternity. Again, an example of how the afterlife affects what we do here and the way we choose to live here. Now, how do you come to the belief that there is or isn't something after this world? And I don't know what your take is on that, Lisa. I've never asked you about it. Um, no. If you want to share with us what it is, I, I, I'm curious I because be happy to share. Sure. Yeah. Well, what is it? Well, first of all, you just said, "How do we come about that take that we have?" I right. think it all starts when we're kids, right? You know, I grew up in a Christian family, so from the time I was a kid, I was taught that you die, there's heaven if you're good, there's right. hell if you're bad, and that's what happens. But as I grew and started reading more, and you know, really. I think there was sort of like an analysis. You have to, I would, I would start thinking, yeah, but how is that possible? What is happening? What, how do we know? Nobody knows. And then reading different religions to see how different religions 
handle life, death, the afterlife, I was very opened up to all these different concepts, which basically leaves me now at, I have no idea. <laughs> um, because I honor all religions and really none of us know. There, there is no human that knows for sure. Although I'm really into people who have died and come back mm-hmm. and they, they have these experiences that, that they saw the light, they saw their family, there's you know all these things that happen. I believe that. Like I like to believe that that is true. So that's the closest we can come to having... Right an actual human come back and say, whoa, no, this was it. And really quick, I'll say my, when my mom was dying, she started talking to these somebody in the room that wasn't there. And I said, who are you talking to? And she said, there's two men standing at the foot of my bed. I'm like, whoa, okay. And I said, what are they wearing? And she said, one's short, one's kind of tall. Um, and she said, the other man's writing something. The tall man is writing something. And I said, what is he writing? She says, I don't know. I don't know. He's just writing. And so I looked at the man and I said, what are you writing? What are you talking about? And my mom said, he said, don't, 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 don't bother. Don't, don't ask him these questions. And I said, okay. And no, but by the way, my mom wasn't out of sorts at that point. She was still lucid and talking. Anyway, the guys leave. Next day, one guy comes back, the short guy. She's like, oh, uh, you're back. Where's your friend? And, oh, uh-huh. Oh, he couldn't come today? Okay. She goes, only the short, handsome one is here right now. And I said, oh, okay, all right. You know, is he, she says, he's just here. He's looking after me. It's okay. He's, and I swear to God, I thought, these are the guys that are going to come to escort my mom wherever right. she needs to go. Right. She didn't recognize them. She gets her them. own she knew, bodyguards. Yeah, she gets like her own two people. Yeah. And I figured like the other guy was like the, you know, the researcher. Well, the so let me ask you, that, that experience, did that, does that change? Did that change your view of heaven? Because it was your mom, after all. wasn't somebody that you heard about halfway around the world or somebody trying to sell a book. It was your mom. So did, does that make you believe that there, that there is something, that there are people escorting you yeah. or waiting? You, you thought what, it you, was you feel so, what she saw was real. Yeah, it was so real, not just to her, but to us sitting in the room. She really saw something. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, like I said, not that I've ever been skeptical or whatever. I just embrace all schools of thought on this because I like to learn what other people believe. And um, so I never really chose a belief, you know, but that made me think, wow, there is something. I believed that there is something. Right. And you're... Your experience is not dissimilar to one that I had with a relative of mine, not my mother, but an uncle of mine, who uh, was a tough guy, World War II veteran, real tough guy. And he was rushed to open heart surgery once late in his life. And on the operating table, they lost him as doctors. Mm. You know, they say we we lost him for for a few seconds or whatever. He was... Mm -hmm. He coded or whatever the word is. Now, he told me that he remembered during that operation rising out of his body and being conscious and rising Mm. out of his body and floating above the bed and looking down and seeing the doctors working on him. And then he looked and he saw at the edge of the bed were all of his dead relatives, all the people who Mm. had died before him. His parents, his uncles and aunts, they were waiting for him. Now, of course, as a kid, 
I would say, oh, my God, Uncle Ed, what did you, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? You know, and him being the right. salty old veteran, he said, what I do? I told him, get the hell out of here. I'm not ready for any use yet. And right. uh, apparently <laughs> he scared them right back to heaven. And then he, he they fixed him up and he went back into his body. He lived another 10 years, whatever. So now for me, I always believed, well, there you go. Then it must be true. Why? Because this isn't someone, as I say, selling me a book. This isn't someone doing a talk show. This is my uncle. He has no reason mm-hmm. to lie to me. I'm going to believe him. That concept, by the way, became the underpinning for the book I wrote after Tuesdays with Maury called The Five People You Meet in Heaven. And it was based right. on the idea that you meet people, they're waiting for you after you die, in my version, they weren't necessarily your relatives. They were people you had touched in some way on earth, and even for maybe five seconds, but you changed their life forever, and they changed your life forever. But we take the stories that we hear. So that is one way, as you point out. We take the we, two ways, really. We, we take what we're told as children, our faith, our, our, our church, our synagogue, our mosque, whatever it is, whatever we've kind of indoctrinated with. But then there's the personal story. As you get older, well, you know, maybe I don't necessarily believe what I was taught in Sunday school, but I believe my mother. I believe my uncle. So I've got the personal account. There's a third uh, way that people tend to come to it, and, and that is that they consider the alternative, and it just doesn't make sense that there isn't something. And Maury talked about this a little bit when he kind of came to the realization that he was accepting the idea of an afterlife. Listen. So far, I have not settled. However, this is too harmonious, grand, and overwhelming a universe to believe that's all accident. And the mystery of life and death, where you have a sperm and an egg. You have the right environment, you get life. You have the wrong environment, you get nothing. It's all mysterious. Mm -hmm. So you have to wonder what goes on. And maybe our little minds can't grasp the grandiosity Mm -hmm. and the grandeur of what goes on. So this is an yes. idea this is an idea that has been expressed by many people. They can't prove that there's a heaven, but they can't accept that there isn't one because they look at earth and they look at life and they just say there is no way that this is some kind of random thing. And you know who right. says this more in, in many times than anybody else? Doctors and scientists. Now you would think that they are the least likely to believe in something otherworldly or life after this or whatever. But there are a number of doctors and scientists who conclude, Albert Einstein amongst them over the years, who conclude that the human body is just too amazing a piece of work to have been arbitrarily created. It's just when you start breaking down the DNA and the and the way things work right. and the signals that go from the brain to to the mouth to the to the feet to the nose to tell you to blink your eyes whatever the, the adrenaline that shoots through to teach you you know to be afraid or not there's just too many things to have happened by random 
for us not to have been created by a higher force. And, and these are scientists and doctors who conclude this because at the end of all the research, there's still questions that are unanswered. And so they say it must be something bigger. So often we, yeah. are, we are surprised to find out that people who are extremely well-educated can sometimes come to the conclusion that there's something bigger than us. As big as my brain is, there's still something bigger than my brain and my brain's ability to figure it out. And that's what Maury was sort of saying here about the world is too harmonious a place for all of this to believe that it's just an accident. Yeah, and right there, the world is too much a harmonious of a place. I believe also that's animals, plants, all of it work together. Like we wouldn't have none of it. All of it is a miracle to me when you think about everything, mm -hmm. that you need plants for us to breathe. What they let off is what we breathe in, and that's what keeps us alive. Um, Everything touches everything, and it is such a grand master plan. How could it not be anything? You know, and um, yeah, and and a lot know. of people. That's how they come to their conclusion that there is an afterlife, even though they don't know what that afterlife is. Just because there's there's it's too grand for there not to be. And the spirit. You hear so many stories about how the soul lives on, and even though the body goes away, the spirit and and they've done scientific research on it and. You know, when bodies, when people die, like they lose, I don't know what it is, four ounces or something of something that leaves their body. And that's how much a soul uh, weighs. Yeah. Like I believe that there is, your soul is separate. And I think that still lives on because it's energy. And just science tells you that energy is real, you know? So I believe that. I, I, I believe that. I, you know, but it does freak me out still. I, I still, it's so weird. And I know every human thinks this. I don't know if animals are capable of thinking this, but humans think this. Isn't it weird to think that you're not going to be here one day? To me, that's the, that's the biggest reason to think that hopefully there's something else because the fact that your lights turn off and then that's it. Hmm. How strange is that? Right. Uh, then why were we here in the first place? I well, mean, I know of course, critics and, and atheists <laughs> and, yeah, and people say there is no why. There is no, you're just here and then you're gone. Uh, other people will say, no, that ca it can't be that meaningless. There has to be meaning in life. And the consciousness that you talk about is also something that Maury not only talked about but dreamed about after he died. Here, listen. Of all the uh, scenarios that some of your far-out friends have laid out for you, if you could pick one that was actually your personal choice for being true, which would it be? That my consciousness goes on. In a, in a just a general sense, not in, in a, a not in a com, coming back. Uh, no. Rebirth sense. No, right? I'm part of the universe. You remember the thing I did on Capo? I'm I'm part of the ocean. Right. Not right. not a unique right. way. Right. But my shirts are up. Not a unique wave. Right. That's what I'd like to feel. Right. I'm part of the ocean, part of the universe. What Maury was referring to here was the story I've told on this podcast before that he loved about little waves splashing around in the ocean and having a great time splashing mm -hmm. around. And then, and then all of a sudden, one of the waves sees the shore coming up and, and it starts to panic. And the other wave says, what's the matter? And the first wave says, this is terrible. This is terrible. Don't you see? The shore is coming up. And we're going to flip and flip, and, 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 and then we're going to be gone. We're going to disappear. You don't understand. This is terrible. And the other wave says to him, no, you don't understand. You're not a wave. 
you're part of the ocean. And mm. that, that sense mm. of like the energy that we have, the life force that we have, some people believe that that's really what happens after we die, that the life force that you say that you say, I can't imagine not being here, that you don't ever not be here, that that energy force then goes into somebody else or something else or some animal else or whatever. And we're all part of this sort of force we, we, we fold back into the ocean and become something else. Now, sometimes people think that that takes its place in reincarnation, that mm -hmm. your soul leaves Earth and it comes back, not necessarily as Lisa Goitz in somebody else's body, but just in something mm -hmm. else. The energy comes to something else. Maury actually had, a, had a, a funny line about this in the dream that he wanted to be. Here it is. According to the Buddhists, you work out your karma, you did a certain amount here, you carry it over to your next life, mm -hmm. you keep on working out. The idea being you try to drop your conditioning, decondition yourself so that you see reality, mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. Jews believe there's such a thing as a soul. Mm -hmm. My soul will be implanted in another person. Mm -hmm. That'd be great. Mm -hmm or even another being. What would be your personal choice? A gazelle. A gazelle. Because they're so grateful. Graceful. Graceful, I mean. Yeah, right. The good news is you'd be a gazelle. The bad news is you'd be in, you'd be in the Sudan or someplace like that. Right. So Maury wanted to be a gazelle <laughs> when he came back, and for all I know, I he is. That. I don't know. He is, right. He's stuck in the desert, though. Uh, I don't know. Now, there are... This, this speaks to the concept now of, all right, we accept that something happens after we die. What exactly is it? We all want to know the template. Well, the truth is there is no template. There are so many mm -hmm. versions and so many concepts, even within particular religions, there are deviations of what they think the afterlife will be. Yeah, And even in, in Christianity, uh, which has a very clear sense of you know there there is life after after this world you'll be with Jesus you'll be there'll be salvation but there's not a clear description of what it's going to look mm -hmm. like or how it's going to work or how you're going to spend you know nine a.m. ten a.m. and eleven a.m. you know does everybody get to be with Jesus all the time you have to take turns <laughs> you have to rotate in and out you know we we you don't we don't know and of course we can't apply the human concepts to uh, no. heaven. I always pictured a giant room with folding chairs. I know that sounds so strange, but <laughs> like, like it's this big hall and everybody sits there. And f why folding chairs? I would think heaven would probably have better chairs than folding yeah. chairs. But um, whenever I think of heaven, that is exactly what I envision, and I don't know why. Yeah. Well, there was an interesting book written uh, a few years back by David Eagleman. It's called Some. He was a neuroscientist, uh, but he wrote this book some, which is like 40 little short stories, and there are 40 different versions of the afterlife. Hmm. Not all of them are fun. Not all of them are pleasant. Um, one of them, you discover that the your creator is actually a bunch of little creatures who run around all the time asking you, do you have the answer? Do you have the answer? Do you have the answer? <laughs> That's the afterlife. There's another one where uh, you find out that we are all actually these enormous nine-dimensional creatures 
and our job is to maintain the universe. And when we get tired from the work, we get to be reincarnated as humans just to sort of take a break from our large responsibilities. And then when we die, we go back to the large responsibilities so that Earth is sort of a a vacation, right? There's uh, there's another- That's too much work. Yeah, there's another one. one. (laughs) There's another one where you get to keep choosing what you want to be in the next life. Mm -hmm. But people who choose like to have a simpler life, for example, one of the people in the stories decides to become a horse. It just doesn't want to be a human with all the responsibilities anymore, so it chooses in the next life to be a horse. But what the you don't realize is when you become a horse, you forget what it's like to be human wondering about what it would be like to be a horse. So now you just have a horse's mentality. And when a horse dies, then a horse, you use that horse's mentality to pick what you want to be next until you kind of devolve down the scale, you know? Oh, wow. Um, there's another version of it where the afterlife is only with people that you remember. And at first, this is great because you get to be with all the people that you remember. But then yeah. after a while, you get bored because you're not meeting anybody new. And you realize that life needs strangers, too, that you can get to know, and not just people Mm. you already know. People start to complain, you know? Okay, the moral of that story is make a lot of friends here on Earth if you want to have a really full afterlife. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, it's a fascinating little book with a bunch of different uh, uh, versions of what an afterlife would be, and... The, who is to say what's close, what isn't, what's real, what isn't? It's you know. We, Did he make these up, or yeah, are these things people have told up. him? No, he oh, made, okay, he made okay, them all okay. up. They're all fictional. It's a, it's a novel, and it's okay. not meant to be uh, not meant to be taken literally, but meant to get you to think about the different you know ways that you could consider an afterlife, and and ways that you can consider your your actual life here. But we all assume that the afterlife is just going to be so much better. You know, and, uh, and 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 so much more improvement on this. And he puts he puts uh, out you know uh, concepts of like um, there's one where okay, you spend six days clipping your nails, fifteen months looking for lost items, eighteen <laughs> months waiting in a line, two years of boredom, one year of reading books. Two weeks wondering what happens when you die. One me- one minute realizing your body is failing. Seventy-seven hours of confusion. Things like that. The, 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 I mean, there's just a, a million different versions of it, and it's funny. Wow. It's a good book if you want to kind of take a take a look at uh, uh, a wild imagination of what might be. Of course, the more conventional sense is that there's a good place and a bad place. That there's a heaven mm-hmm. and there's a hell. And this probably more than anything, more than any of the uh, fictional versions of the afterlife that mm-hmm. are fun to imagine, you know, you get to go to heaven and be quarterback of a Super Bowl team. And, you know, that's right. Okay. Heaven and hell have done more for altering our behavior here on earth than any other concept, short of the concept of there being an almighty. Because... Everybody wants to go to heaven, and nobody wants to go to hell. And if you believe that these places await you, then you are going to do certain things here on earth out of fear or out of desire to get to one place versus mm-hmm. the other. I asked Maury about those two concepts one Tuesday. Here's what he said. I don't know if I ever asked you about a concept of uh, heaven or hell. 
Do you believe in any of that? No. I believe that there's some kind of energy in the universe that we borrow from, we give back to. But I don't know more than that. There's something beyond this earth. But do you see whatever it is that's beyond as some kind of um, retribution or scale oh. for what has happened, what you've done here? No. Then where's the motivation to do well here? Inside. That's what I think is the purpose of life. I think of it that if you don't do something for other people, you're not fulfilling who you're meant to be. We are all meant to be helpful to each other, to be responsible for each other, and to try to fulfill the other as well as ourselves. Now, we don't always succeed, but I think that's our ideal. So this is a very interesting take on the afterlife. This is to say that there isn't a punishment or a reward that comes at the end. Those who were good don't get a different post-world existence than those who were bad. And you heard me say, well, then why be good? And Maury said, on the inside, you have to be good for yourself. You have to know and feel that this is what a human being is supposed to be that you are not fulfilling who you were meant to be if you're not helpful to one another, if you're not responsible for one another, if you don't try to fulfill other people. And that has to come from within. In other words, you shouldn't have a wagging finger saying, if you don't help somebody next door, you're going to hell. You know, if you don't right. give some money to charity, you're going to hell. Uh, that might force somebody to do those things, but it's, it's not a very good reason this fear of going to hell, that it's better that if you have that concept on the inside already, that you know, well, whether there's a heaven or hell or not, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And in that way, mm -hmm. to me, you've already found your heaven. I have yeah. discussed this with many rabbis and, and, and priests and said, is it possible that God is a peace of ourselves, that it's the part of ourselves that gives you a little warm, tingly feeling when you do something good for somebody else and they say, thank you, thank you for helping me, and you get that little tingle in your stomach mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know, I did something good, that felt good. Is that God? Is that God sort of patting you on the back and saying, yes, do more of this, right. this is the good thing? When we harm somebody, when we argue with somebody, we say something really bad, and we walk away and we feel the heat inside of us and we know that we did something harmful, we did bad to somebody and you feel yucky, for want of a better mm -hmm. word. Is that God saying, this is not who I want you to be? So the, the, is it possible that heaven exists inside of us and the afterlife right. is actually part of this life? There's a wonderful parable. That's a good one, I like that. There's a wonderful parable about um, heaven and hell. I don't know if I've ever told it to you before. Uh, mm -hmm. About a man who's about to die, and uh, the angels come to get him. And he says, look, uh, before I breathe my last, can you show me the options? Show me the two places that I might end up. And so the angel agrees. 
And so the angel first takes him to hell. And in hell, there is this endlessly long banquet table. It runs all the way to the horizon. And on this table is every kind of food, every kind of meat and cheese and fruit and dessert, and everything you could possibly want. And there are people seated in chairs on both sides of this eternally long table, but their hands are locked out in front of them, and they can't move. So they can't touch the food, and their, you know, their hands are, are always right. just straight. And forever and eternity, they're, they're stuck to be that close, but not being able to get it. Yeah. And he looks Ouch. at this, and he says, oh, this is terrible. This is, this is awful. Who would want to be stuck in that? Get me out of here. Show me heaven. So the angel takes him up to heaven. And when they get to heaven, what he sees is the exact same scene. A banquet table that goes on to eternity. People on both sides of the table, their arms stretched out in front of them. But the difference between hell and heaven is that in heaven, they're feeding the people across from them. Ah. And in that Uh small difference between doing for someone else yes, and agonizing over what's not being done for you is the difference between heaven and hell. Yes. And is therefore the instructive difference between how we should behave here, mm-hmm. whether we're going to one place or the other. Yeah. And that's pretty interesting lesson. And, and that's a, you know, the motivation to do well should be inside you just as a piece of heaven or the opposite is inside you. And that can inform your behavior every bit as much as the actual moment when we pass on and go someplace else. So we've talked about a whole lot of different ways of looking at the afterlife. But I think the, the, the hopefully the lesson that you're getting from this and from the conversation that I had with Maury that I got is that what's important when you talk about heaven or the afterlife, or what comes next, is that it informs you and affects you to be as good as you can be here Mm -hmm. on Earth. There's not much Mm -hmm. point in leading a life that's meaningless, that doesn't help anybody, that's, that's, that's kind of just empty, thinking, well, when I get to heaven, I'll take care of the important stuff. That's kind of a useless version of heaven. That's that's sort yeah. of a, a get-out-of-jail-free card version of heaven. Uh, a more useful version of the afterlife is to think about, well, if this is true or if this is true, if this is true, how should I be behaving here? What can I learn from that that will change my behavior here? And if it does change it for the positive, then I think, <laughs> as you, if you want to be really practical about it, what's the worst that could happen? Right. You let a good life, and then we die, and there is no afterlife. All right. You let a good life. Still yeah. good. Still good. Right. On the other hand, if you were banking, ah, there's nothing. I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want, take everything I want, treat people lousy, whatever. And then you die, and you wake up after you're dead, and they say, okay, time for the reckoning. And you go, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I should have paid attention. 
So yep. <laughs> what do you got to lose by leading a good life and, and leading true. a life that will help others? Um, and that's how you incorporate heaven and the afterlife into your current life, into your daily yeah. life. I'd like to err on the side of good. Well, then feed the people across from you. I will do that. That's all you have to do. And not literally so much as figuratively. So we hope you got something out of that. I know when I had that conversation with Maury, uh, it was a great Tuesday where I thought we just bounced all this stuff back and forth. And, of course, seeing him as he was about to die, that really um, rang true even more for me, his thoughts about what comes next. Give it some yeah, thought yourself. Hopefully not Yeah, one day I want week. to do a uh, an episode where I just ask you all of the different things you've learned about heaven through all of your research. Like, you know, I yeah. bet you've had great talks with people and what you think, but I know that that would take another half hour, which we don't have. But Yeah, I've written a number of books about heaven and uh, uh, it fascinates me. And uh, yeah, that'd be a yeah. good one. But but a, for another day, because we're out That's of time. That's a whole nother today. episode, but there's so much there. There's just yeah. so much. I want to learn more about those things one day. Until that day, uh, and until we uh, get together again in another seven days, we want to remind you that wetuesdaypeople.com is the website where you can find out more about our podcast and learn about previous podcasts, get in discussion groups, etc., we certainly appreciate your listening to us. Tell your friends that they can find us wherever they get popular podcasts, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, all those places, we're there. And until we get a chance to speak with you again, on behalf of Lisa Goitsch, this is Mitch Album saying, we'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.